1: Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth.
0: Hi, hi everyone. This is Gwendolyn. Welcome on this beautiful, beautiful spring day. I'm here in Portland, Oregon. You've come to the visual workplace. We are surrounded by white apple blossoms and pink cherry blossoms and blue skies, a green, green trees and a Cooper, a pair of Cooper hawks sitting in this massive elm right outside my office window. And you know what these Cooper hawks do? I didn't know. They are, of course, um, a kind of predator. They're fierce birds, and all the other birds avoid them. As a result, we no longer wake up in the morning to crows who are clattering and chattering away at the break of dawn at 5 a.m. It is silent at dawn. It is silent, (laughs) and we wake up because we want to. (laughs) So... It's wonderful to be uh, talking to you after a good night's sleep and in this beautiful, beautiful time of the year. I actually like Oregon and the Northeast. It's one of the reasons why I like England so much because I like the rain and the wet. But I tell you, when the sun comes, it is really like, uh, like, you know, exactly what it is, rotating around the galaxy and suddenly coming upon the warmth of the sun again. It is so welcomed and everything is blossoming. It's very, very beautiful. I'm particularly happy to be talking to you uh, today uh, here at the Visual Workplace where we talk about letting the workplace speak, where we talk about embedding information into the living landscape of work in the forms of visual devices. And what happens when we do is that information – Which holds critical answers to critical questions begins to make the landscape, the environment itself meaningful. We begin to be in conversation with the physical environment. We begin to have a relationship with what seems to be, what seem to be inanimate objects. But in fact, they're our friends. They're the devices and the systems of devices that we put into our work environment in order to help us do a better job more safely to make our, uh, our contribution to the corporate intent because we made it so. We made it so. We are sovereign over our cell, over our department, over our plant, over our corporation because we made it so. Devices are our partners and they came out of our understanding of visual principles our understanding of this concept of embedding information, we invented them out of our knowledge and also out of our imagination. And one of the ways that, one of the things that I look for when I assess plants, when I look to determine the level of visual competency, is I look for devices that literally have never been seen before on the planet. I call it the weirdness factor, and if you've been listening to my show for a while, you'll know that I use it often, the weirdness factor that will uh, make the language peculiar. It'll be a dialect. It'll be the peculiar language of this particular location in this particular corporation, and it will be perfectly attuned to the citizens who live there, the citizens who work there. Visuality, our great friend making our time coherent and our ability to perform potentially excellent. The Visual Workplace, welcome. Welcome. Today we're going to continue our discussion of addresses as the second powerful element of automatic recoil or the visual wear. The first element is borders. The second is addresses. And a far third our ID labels, and we'll be mentioning them as well. We're in our second show. Probably we will do one or two more on addresses. We really do want to uh, destroy the paradigm that addresses are just labels with names on it by spending what it will be. It will be three and a half hours discussing how various they are and how powerful and how useful and what happens when they are there and what happens when they're not there and how to make them more powerful. Today we're going to be going over the rules, the six rules of... Uh, addresses, and then we will be giving you some tips to make your addresses more effective. I think we'll get through that much. We were supposed to interview Norman Bodak today. He had an emergency operation last Tuesday, um, but in fact, he's still recovering, and because we didn't want to take the chance of disappointing you again today, we are rescheduling, we think, for next week. After that, I go to the UK for a couple of weeks, to Europe and the UK, and if we don't uh, get Norman on... Then here in May, we will do it in June, and that will be a pleasure. And I have a couple of announcements. One, we, uh, have two very, very good visual workplace visual thinking seminars happening in conjunction with the Lean Management Journal or Say One Media, Say One Media in, um, the UK under the leadership of John Tudor. And, um, I think there's space still in the second one. The first one, I believe, is filled up. The first one is uh, for uh, Hosealock. Hosealock is a garden place. That's where the site assessment is going to be, and uh, seminar will be in conjunction with that on the 23rd and the 24th of May. And then on the 28th and the 29th, we're going to PPE, which uh, does um, uh, fabrication and machining. And I believe there's room there. In between, I'm going for a hike in what's called the lakes, which is just paradise for me, which will be really, really wonderful. In July, I return to um, England, and I will be doing a um, discussion of visual leadership at the University of Buckingham. They have a Lean conference, and I think David Mann is sharing the – Podium and some other very notable contributors. So that will be very interesting. Um, On the 10th, I'm going to be doing a full workshop on visual leadership. On the 11th, I'll be making a presentation. I will be staying in the UK for another two weeks uh, and I am available to visit your plant. So please give us an email or a call. And I have pretty good availability for the following two weeks. I will be going back to the United States on the 30th of July, 30th or 31st. So uh, please uh, let us know if you want us to come by and conduct an assessment or do a seminar. It can be on visual thinking. It can be on visual leadership. It can be on 5S on steroids. I've been doing that, helping companies that are a little bit stuck with 5S do some very simple but powerful um, applications or thinkings, uh, related to the principles of visuality that will really, I think largely unstuck, unstick, uh, the part of 5S that people sometimes trip on. How to get beyond neat and clean and get into the wonderful visual aspects of 5S. So we're available. Send us an email at radio at visualworkplace.com or give us a call. Uh, at our office, 503-233-1784. That's our office in Oregon, 503-233-1784. So let's begin our, our continuing discussion about addresses. And I'm going to do a little bit of a repeat of how I ended the show last week so that you can get a flavor of what we mean by the rules for addressing And you can also understand anew that addresses are a powerful and indispensable partner to the bordering function. So if we have a border without an address, what we basically have is a line on the floor. If we have a border with an address, whether it's airborne or on the border itself, then what we have is functionality. We have a designated location, one that can we use, that we can use repeatedly and reliably for the location of whatever lives there. So when you do your addresses, I'm going to begin the rules. There are six rules. I'll just read the six rules and then I'm going to put some flush on them. Rule number 1, make sure your address is large enough. Rule number 2, use upper and lower case. Rule number three, create high contrast addresses. Rule number four, color code, and I'll have much to say about that. Rule number five, create surround addresses. I'll explain that as well. And rule six is standardize the name, standardize the nomenclature. Hmm? So let's begin. Large enough. Rule number one of six. Make each address large enough for us to be able to see easily. The whole idea is to get rid of motion. If you create an address that's too hard to see, you actually will be triggering motion, moving without working. People will be leaning. They'll be taking extra steps. They'll be squinting. And they will also be making mistakes. Our basic rule is... It needs to be, the address needs to be perfectly readable at two feet when you're on foot and perfectly readable at four feet when you are on a cart or a forklift or something that's moving by. Okay? So, you, just let that be the judge. That, just, if you can see it when you're on foot without bending over, without squinting, and you can see it accurately and completely, then you're on, you're doing well. And the same thing with the forklift. Your your addresses have to be right-sized. They have to be at a scale and in a proportion that fits the setting, that fits where the address resides. It's really hard to make an address too big. But as I said before, avoid the too small. Okay? Second one, use upper and lower case. Here's the thing. Lots and lots of people... Make their addresses all uppercase because they think if it's all uppercase, it's going to be more readable. The exact opposite is true. When you use uppercases, all capitals, you destroy the pattern of the word itself. As a result, we have to read the word instead of recognizing it. Parts ready. When that's in all capitals, we actually sound out the word. When it is upper upper/lower case, as we discussed when we were discussing that research from University of Cambridge in England, we don't allow the mind to see the pattern because we took the pattern away. We made it a, just a block as compared to a pattern, an undifferentiated block. We flattened out the pattern profile. So the pattern of the word disappears, and when the pattern disappears, we are forced to read, not recognize the word. This is exactly what we experience when we have an analog clock pointing to, little hands pointing to 4 o'clock. We recognize it's 4 o'clock versus having a digital clock where we have the word or the letter, the number 4, colon zero zero. We have to read that. We don't recognize it. We have to read it because it has no pattern. And, and so on a jet plane where time is of the essence, when we're under threat, under pressure, things are moving fast, everything is dangerous, just being there is dangerous. The control panel will have a analog clock. It'll have the two hands. For quick instant recognition, and it will also have the digital clock, but not for instant recognition for simple redundancy so that we have a confirmation that it really is, for example, four o'clock. So you want to use upper and lower, and you can now get label makers that do this. I know Brady offers it. You know, these folks have been attending my seminars for 20 years, and finally we got to the boardroom. Isn't that wonderful? And we have now upper and lower case label makers, which is really great. Now You now have a choice. And when given the choice, please exercise it. Okay? So we're going to go into our first break now. When we come back, we'll be talking about high contrast addresses and some of the most common errors, the most common. And um, I think you'll find that very helpful I'll see you in just a minute. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. See you in a minute.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, welcome back. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the second section, the second part of the Visual Workplace on this beautiful late spring day. And we're talking about smart addresses, the rules of smart addresses. The fact is that far too many companies, far too many improvement specialists, far too many 5Sers apply addresses in a kind of get-it-over-with manner. And they make these cookie-cutter addresses. They plaster white labels everywhere on everything. And they usually use black numbers and letters the most ineffective combination in the mistaken belief that, well, that fulfills the requirement of addresses. You know, that's usually comes under 5S, and all we want to do is kind of name the thing. But it doesn't fulfill that requirement. And not only that, these sad little addresses are so uninteresting, so boring, that the people who put it in place prefer to forget about them instead of maintaining them or even improving them because the standard has been set by their first action, which is good enough is good enough. And we know that good enough is the enemy of excellence. So we're going through the rules. We've gone through the first two of the six rules of effective addresses, and you know what the next rule is. We talked about upper and lower cases, and make sure that your address is large enough. The next rule is high contrast. The single most common mistake that people—what um, could I say—that people make in doing addresses is they put black letters, black numbers on a plain white label black and white. They think that black and white is the best color combination because they mistakenly think that black creates the highest contrast possible with white. But that, in fact, is incorrect. In a field of color, the human eye is drawn to yellow first. This is research. This isn't hypothetical This isn't Gwenny thinks. This is research that the U.S. government did and that is why most of the traffic signs are crayon yellow with bold black letters and numbers on it. Dense crayon yellow background with black, bold black letters and numbers is the best combination. What happens to black and white? Black letters on white, it turns into gray. In fact, those two... Seemingly ends of the spectrum, they blend into an undifferentiated field, and it's a problem in seeing the addresses. So sometimes, the, when the address is small, you have to lean in close to get the sharpness of the of the outline. You have to lean lean in close to be able to simply distinguish the letters and the numbers. Black on white is the least easily seen, and yet it is the most commonly used. And it's just ignorance, ignosis, not knowing, not ignorance as in the intention not to know. It is simply that people aren't educated to the fact, even though their eye will respond unerringly to spotting yellow first in in a field of color. That hasn't been translated into a principle or a concept. And as a result, people don't realize what their eye automatically does. So Uncle Sam has already done this research and use it. And in fact, what we find, thanks to coming to my courses all these years, I take credit for it. I have to take credit for it because I remember um, when the – People who ran these big companies said, oh, my goodness, we need to offer not white tape but yellow tape for these taped borders, these taped printers, these label makers, and they began to do that. Okay? And you can see this around the community. You see it on crime scene tape. You see it in the crayon yellow of the school buses. A color, by the way, that reserved by U.S. law in 1939 for school buses only, our school buses will be crayon yellow. Why? Because people kept bumping into school buses, and our kids would get hurt. They wouldn't notice a school bus parked on the side of the road to let kids out, and they ran by, and little kids got run over. So license plates in the U.K. have that combination. Okay? Okay. So let's take a lesson from that and use high contrast colors to make our addresses more readable. Let's avoid that white, that black on white. And the other combination that works is black background, yellow letters. Black background, yellow letters. And I will say that it's a pretty good combination to have black background, white letters, but not white background, black letters. Okay? So that's our rule number three, high contrast colors. Rule number four is about color coding. Color coding is actually not a border function. It is when we talk about color coding borders, we are not so much talking. We are not talking about the border. We are talking about the address that the color coding represents. Technically speaking, color coding is a form of address, of home address. And it, that color coding is embedded, that address is embedded in the borders. So make that differentiation. Just because the border is a color doesn't mean that it's there to give you color coded borders, it is there to give you address. Borders borders that have a built-in address. And we use color coding after we have a numerical or a letter address. It is meant to enhance the written or numerical address. It is not meant to replace it. So, we always, always use letters when we have color-coded borders. Okay? So don't make the mistake of using color coding instead of addresses. I see that everywhere. It's a big mistake. It looks like a shortcut, but in fact, it turns into long lead times, mix-ups, accidents, defects, mix-ups, mix-ups, defects, and therefore unhappy customers. And there's another reason why we combine color coding with borders or numbers. Some of us are colorblind. In fact, Studies show that 8 to 12% of all men and about 1% of women are some degree of colorblind, usually in the green and red range. That doesn't mean everything turns gray. It means that green and red turn dull. They're not high contrast anymore. So words and numbers come first and then add color coding. So that's rule number four. Rule number five Surround addresses. This is something I discovered when I found borders going around these large machine centers. And I realized that we needed to have addresses on all sides of these items rather than just on one side, especially if the item is large. For example... If you have, even if you have a dolly, I'm thinking of a dolly that held four fixtures. Wonderful! It was it was created by Rick L at Denison Hydraulics, now Parker Denison. They make high precision pumps. And what he did is he had a dolly, sitting in the center of the floor, fixture square, and on each side he put the address, so that you could see it when you were coming from any address, uh, any direction. And you can do the same thing if it's airborne. If you have an airborne address, it should be seen from a minimum of two sides. And if you can, three sides or even four sides. So any direction, I'm getting that information. And I don't have to take a detour in order just to see the address to find out that I'm in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong place. So that's our rule number five. Our rule number six has to do with names, with naming, with nomenclature. You and your colleagues have to agree on a common set of names for the things in your work area. This creates a pause between the border and assigning an address. So you settle on a single name. For example, a machine that may be referred to by maintenance as the JTM-1 may be called uh, by a name like Big Blue by the rest of us. Or it might be a two-axis CNC. There is no problem with having double or triple names as long as the decision is, when you refer to it, to be clear. In other words, if you had three names for it, one name that, that was needed with precision for maintenance, put that on as well. But if it's called the Big Blue commonly by everyone in the area, then call it the Big Blue because when a newcomer comes on board, you're going to be saying to them, hey, go take this over to the the Big Blue. You're not going to say the JTM-1 or if you only say the JTM-1, then make that the prominent name. But you have to decide on that. We are determining, as it were, a common name for things, a standard nomenclature, and this is important not just for the things within your department, but for the items and the materials and processes that are shared across the departments. If you are an operator, your supervisor will and can and must help, okay, and while we talked about it when we were talking about setting up the infrastructure, a lot of the conventions around addresses and borders can be helped with the oversight of a team that I call the macro visual team. If you're familiar with my ten doorways, it's doorway number nine, and the purpose of this to- of this doorway, doorway number nine, the macro team is to find ways to connect. The company and the processes together visually. We have somebody who is paying attention to the visual linkages. How do we link processes? How do we link departments? How do we make sure there's visual connectivity between the department, the departments? This is a perfect job for the visual macro team. So. Um, I wanted to say something a little bit further about naming. and Let me just say that in the naming practice, this is, uh, and I, I'm mostly speaking to supervisors and managers, supervisors and managers, it's usually a good idea to use a true consensus process in naming within a cell so that you can get people's ideas of what is the common name versus what is the precise kind of maintenance-oriented name. And you should think about that rather than dictating the names. It's not a big deal, but if you really do want to support I-Driven, you will not try to use your position as boss to shortcut the the process, save time, and get your own favorite names adopted. Because instead of gaining time, if you're moving towards I-driven, the way that I promote and the way that I hope and pray, the I-driven process will grind to a halt. That's the thing about giving sovereignty and giving acknowledgement of people's individuality. When you take even a little away, people notice it. They may let you have your own way, but you will have short-circuited the spirited engagement that many of you are working so long and sincerely to cultivate. So even in the naming process, be aware of iDriven. You can do this pretty simply with post-its, and people will kind of move in the direction of a kind of agreement. All right, so we're going into our next break. When we come back, we will. I'll be talking about some ways to make your addresses more effective. I'm spending this time on the operator level because the visual wear is the single most important visual intervention on the operation value-add level of all the possible interventions. And when you do that and do it well, Well, meaning the way that I'm describing with this kind of detail and these principles is that operators will feel as though the area has shifted into a 90% application of visual work, of, of the visual workplace. 90% or feel like 90%, even though it only represents about 20% of the paradigm, because suddenly they'll have control over their corner of the world. And that's all they really need and ask for. Is controlled so that I can make good value add decisions and do really excellent work. So these addresses, we're spending time on on them because they're important and they can be very, very interesting. Let's talk more after the break. See you in a minute.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
0: Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. We just finished our six rules of addresses, how to make them effective. We're in our series on addresses and in our larger series of the visual wear, talking about operator-led visuality. And I'm going to now kind of go through some tips on effectiveness, but I wanted to just mention a few things about the importance of color and the use of color. And I remember a conversation I had with an airplane industry executive uh, several years ago. It was probably eight or nine years ago. And he said, you know, we are making a bid right now to have um, all of the personnel related to the airlines in a terminal wear dark colors, either black or navy blue and the reason for that is we want people to approach us because they know we have answers and we want them to respect our authority and we have found that if we are wearing other colors more cheerful colors you know the blue the red the tan that we we actually experience less respect and we experience more of an effort to get people's attention and get people to do things that are actually for their benefit and for their safety. And I saw over the uh, following years that, in fact, this effort did not succeed, that most of the U.S. carriers had moved to dark black, but the international carriers, the other countries, uh, kept a kind of wide range of colors. I find it very, very interesting that our behavior can be changed so significantly, really in terms of our own safety, by the colors that people who have answers or should have answers are wearing. Isn't that interesting? So we were talking about color coding just before the break. So let's talk about making addresses more effective. Remember, even though it's easy to put down white addresses, white labels with black letters or numbers, that doesn't really fulfill the need for these addresses to function. So here are some tips that I have developed and seen and used over these many, many, many years about how to make addresses easy to see, easy to read, accurate, complete, related to the task on hand. This is what I mean by effective, useful. Okay? Here's tip number one. There'll be five of them. Tip number one. Use arrows. When you start applying addresses to racks and shelves, do not subtract from your good efforts by making, by not making it clear, I should say, by not making it clear to what the address refers. When you put the address on a series of three shelves and each address has a shelf, as each shelf has an address, Does the address that I'm looking at now apply to the upper shelf or to the lower shelf? How do I know? Well, you will see people who will stand in front of a shelf, reach for something, and then start moving down the shelf until they get to the very bottom. And at that point, they make up their mind because they found themselves a reference point or an an anchor point. That, in fact, the address refers to what is below. Or maybe they'll discover it refers to what is above it instead of what is below it. Would you please take the question away and simply put an arrow? Just put an arrow. And then the question is never asked. And this tiny little bit of micro motion evaporates. This is particularly important when you're using barcoding, which is already a very difficult address, and I'll talk about more in just a moment, when you're dealing with barcoding. So you have this white and black bars going across it. What does it mean? Many times companies will use a secondary address, and I applaud this, and they will locate the address near the barcode, but then they have to add arrows. So basically when you're looking at barcoding, this is what I suggest. I suggest first of all that you use, you add a contrasting background to the barcode, whether it is a swash of paint or some colored cardboard that is stuck onto the shelving or a color magnetic strip. Added as a backing to the barcodes, something that will allow the barcode to be findable. And need I say, if the barcode is out of date and you're no longer using it, please remove it. This is another step. Makes me crazy. People leave out of date barcodes and they expect forklift drivers and other personnel to know which is the barcode that's relevant. And so you'll see people swiping barcodes that have been out of date for two or three years that are simply left in place. You know, it's not exactly laziness because if people knew the impact, they would make the effort of getting rid of the old so as not to confuse us now. But it looks like laziness, but it's, you know, under that umbrella that I talked about before, ignosis. It's just ignorance, that's all. So you have, you add this contrasting background, and then you add the color, the the arrows. Now, I, I can really get into a rant on arrows, because I have seen, I have seen shelving all over the world, and in my money, in, in my, in my book, I would make the addition of arrows a visual standard. A visual standard meaning when we install the visual language, when there is an address on a shelf, if there is, if there are two shelves, and there always is, that's the nature of a shelf, it bisects an area, that there will be arrows pointing to the thing that the, that the address applies to. So much time is lost in just trying to figure that out. The cost of the absence of arrows will become screamingly apparent if you please think of the loss of a nanosecond that is triggered by a single vague address caused by the absence of arrows and simply multiply that by one person over the course of a single day, then multiply it by a week, these nanoseconds, then a month, and now bite the bullet and multiply it by the number of people either in your company or using that area, and this will scream at you. This is losing you valuable time. You may have capacity. You may have market demand, and the absence of the arrow will eat up the time that you should be making things. I don't believe anyone – has ever had the internal fortitude to go to the next level and multiply the number of people by the number of days by the number of products, by the number of products in, the, in on a shelving unit and the number of shelving units in a department, a company, or corporation. Why torment yourself? Better just get used to using arrows and watch them spread as intelligent, forward-thinking people who work with you, get the message. They get the message, they'll be able to move with precision. Okay, so that's the first tip. Use arrows. I'm very emphatic about it. And it is really a tick mark against you if you don't use arrows. It just means you don't realize the information deficit. Second big tip. Use driver license level addresses. This is one of my favorite. I came upon this when I was working at United Electric in Watertown, Massachusetts, in the 1980s, and I met an absolutely brilliant visual thinker, John Pacheco, and he introduced me to driver license level addresses. I went to his uh, to admire some of his then Five S work, and I saw that he had set up some rods. Copper and stainless steel, where the ID and the OD were only slightly different. The ID was 015, the OD was 093, and in another, the next model up, the next size up was a 0.021 with the OD of 0.093. And what he did was make those numbers a part of the address. So it would say ID .015, OD .093, and then underneath it would say S-steel, stainless steel, and then cut length, which happened to be all the same. And it was like a revelation. I thought, wow, he's not just telling me these are stainless steel rods, by the way, versus copper rods, but he is giving me the telling difference. And I dubbed this driver license level addresses. Your driver license level shares your name, your photo, your home address, birth date, vehicle restrictions, driving restrictions, your license number, and it also shares what you want us to do with your vital organs should you get into a a fatal accident. In short, it contains the information we need to make positive, correct, timely, value-add decisions and take effective timely action without asking any questions and what you want us to do with your vital organs should you get into a fatal accident we need to have the answer to that so in the same way a good workplace address shares these many levels of information about its residents the more complicated or look-alike an item the more specifics need to get included in the address in order for us to pick and to put that item correctly without the slightest hesitation, without the slightest possibility of mix-up. And you know what else John did because he had copper versus stainless steel with just the I the OD different? Sorry, with just the ID different, he alternated them. Now, that has to do with smart placement. He alternated them so it went stainless steel copper stainless steel copper he broke the symmetry just brilliant the address must anticipate people's need to know it must anticipate people's need to know so they can act immediately and independently and correctly without questions with a minimal with minimal motion marvelous In a moment, we're going to be talking about purely generic addresses. We'll do this after the break, which also have an important function, but they are just as intentional. We decide to make a driver license level address because that's what's needed. We're going to also decide to make a generic address because that fits our need to know very specifically I'll give you that example as soon as we come back I hope you find this so interesting I know you have to really be into the nitty gritty of visuality to think this is you know we're spending a whole hour on on addresses but we're actually going to spend four shows on addresses I'm quite sure of it I love this stuff <laughs> I hope you do too <laughs> see you in a minute
1: comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: Hi, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. I'm welcoming you to our last segment. And I want to kind of expand the discussion so you understand that we're not just talking about technical addresses. We're talking about engaging people in the thinking process of owning their work area, noticing their motion, becoming scientists of their own process. How are you going to operationalize that? How are you going to operationalize the homily that you hear everywhere of about, of of empowering people, of the DNA of the Toyota uh, production system, of helping people become scientists of their own process. How are you going to do that? Well, you can do it through problem solving. That's important. And you can do it through using motion as a lever and letting people notice their information deficits and then creating devices that, as cause and effect, as effect and cause, reduce their motion. Because they have more pertinent, relevant, easy, correct, complete information at the fingertips. They can make their own decision. They can have their right action. And so this is an engagement opportunity. And you can do this after you do your first cycle through 5S and you have truly robust 5S. You want to be, make it more robust. You say, you know what? We are going to pick out of this hat something that we'll do all month. And you put five or six principles in a hat and you have somebody pull it out and they'll pull out, let's apply the principles of driver license level information to our addresses. Let's do that for a whole month. Let's make sure that our addresses are complete, but not all of them. And that takes me to the next tip that I want to give you. So you decide when driver license level is what is needed, but you also decide when you use generic addresses. So you can have a whole month of let's do generic addresses. Mm -hmm. You begin with the intention of creating the most accurate, precise, and complete address, the driver license level. But you also have to be prepared to change your mind. This is where we build flexibility and things get very, very interesting. We go to the polar opposite if it is required. And the polar opposite is called... A generic address. Generic mean, meaning general or vague. It has many applications. Typically, generic addresses are used by intention, by design, when items located together are so different they cannot be defined by a single address. This is usually some kind of holding area. And my best story for this to illustrate, both it's very cute, but it makes the point is is uh, uh, an event that was triggered by a very uncommon form of motion. was searching for a lost pizza, and it was soon to become a, a lost and cold pizza. So at Green Rubber back in the – this was 80s or – I think it was the 90s in Massachusetts near Woburn. The folks – the night shift was expecting a pizza. They ordered a pizza. The delivery w- was guaranteed within 30 minutes. Folks continued working, but an hour later, there was no pizza. The pizza hadn't shown up. They called to inquire, hey, you're supposed to deliver this in 30 minutes. That was 40 minutes ago. Well, we did deliver it. Well, where is it? Well, we delivered it. Well, where is it? No, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. So anyway, one of the team members went out to the night reception and said, hey, we were expecting a pizza. Where is it? Oh, yeah, I sent the guy back there. And he left the pizza off. And then he he left, so I know he delivered it. Here, here's the sign-in. So they looked and they looked and they looked, and they finally found the pizza. It was cold. It was hard. And what they said to each other was, never again, never again. And so (laughs) they designated a location in their cell called Drop Zone. D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, two words, big, airborne sign, yellow-bordered location. And what they said is, anything and everything that comes into our department will go here first. Parts, cardboard, tools, and piping hot pizza. Never again. But it was such a great idea because they just needed a place where things could be collected And this was long before lean had hit this plant. This was green rubber in the, in the 1990s. But you get the message? So you'd make these, if you have generic addresses and they are not by intention, that all you have are lousy addresses. But if they are intentional, they have a purpose you've chosen them over driver license level because that serves your purpose. And that's what you want. You want control over your corner of the world. Well, you have to define what that control means. You're sovereign. You're the king. You're the queen. That was tip number three. Use generic addresses where you decide they're useful. Tip number four, avoid meaningless addresses. This is another of bear. So a meaningless address... Is a generic address that is there by accident. Or it is an address that has a lot of things in it but means nothing. For example, you get these addresses with part numbers on them. 12089499 and right next door to it is 12065401 and right next door to that is 120 blah 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 blah. Lots of numbers, but no meaning. Meaningless addresses. We do not doubt that this address, this kind of address system was developed with care and with a desire to help. It is certainly far better than nothing, but it is something else. It is only a beginning. And you have to notice the motion that is triggered by the address, even though for right now you've done the best you can. If we sit and observe the microactivity triggered by such addresses, we will see a lot of earnest, hard working employees, your friends and mine, ourselves engaged in micro motion. We see the operator bent over, we see the operator kneeling, we strain to see the numbers. We observe the strain of an almost good enough system on material handlers and restock people and water spiders. They lean close. You can hear her muttering, does this box of parts actually match this bin number? Well, um, well, uh, well, uh, wait a minute. Where are my glasses? Okay. The remedy is not a better pair of glasses. The remedy is to think visually and find appropriate addresses. The way to handle that is, in fact, to add what I call handles. And we're at the end of today's show. And on that cliffhanger, I'm going to leave the show and say, "Come back next week." If Norman is here, then we'll. What, what actually what will happen is that I may pre-record a show. We'll have to see while I'm away in Europe. But um, we will talk about putting handles on addresses. And this is something else you can do to revitalize interest in visuality, what you call 5S. You want to keep it vital and alive. I am so glad you came to the visual workplace today. I'm so glad you were in the neighborhood. I look forward to your next visit. I look forward to the next time. Thank you very much. And this is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am signing off.
1: We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.